Hello, and welcome to a series of podcasts from Wrigley Solicitors on the EU's new data protection regime, known as the General Data Protection Regulation, or GDPR. We are one of the few law firms in the country with dedicated lawyers working exclusively for charity and social enterprise clients. The EU laws which founded the Data Protection Act 1998, or the DPA, and being the cornerstone of the UK's current personal data protection regime, were, rather soberingly, written well before Mark Zuckerberg was out of short trousers, let alone contemplating his Facebook empire. The 25th of May 2018 will see a huge shift in the regulation of data protection across the EU. This is the date from which EU organisations will have to comply with the General Data Protection Regulation, or GDPR. It is directly applicable in the UK. This means that there is no need for Member States to introduce new laws to implement the GDPR international law. The GDPR is designed to respond to significant advances in information technology and the fundamental changes to the ways in which we communicate and share information, such as through the use of social media, which have occurred since the mid-1990s. I am Peter Parker, a partner in the firm's Charities and Social Economy team, and over the next few weeks, I will be joined by my colleague Sue King, a partner in our Charities and Social Economy team who specialises in employment law, and Duncan Milwain, a consultant in our Charities and Social Economy team who specialises in charity governance. This week, Sue and I will be looking at data protection and the GDPR, an overview on its impact on charities such as schools and social enterprises. In future weeks, we'll be looking at a number of further topics, including the following. What should you be doing to get ready for the GDPR and when you should be doing it? Some practical steps to help organisations get ready. How do you know what data you're holding and what should you be doing with that data? Are your data protection consents fit for purpose? Do you have a legitimate interest to process data? Transferring data to third parties and keeping that legal? And finally, what happens if you're in breach of the GDPR? Right, Pete, this is our first session and, as you said, it's going to be an overview of the GDPR. So, in light of that, given that the Data Protection Act already protects the personal data of individuals living in the UK, how significantly will the GDPR change the current regime? That's a really good question, Sue, and and I think people should be mindful of the fact that there is indeed existing data protection legislation in place in the UK as things currently stand. Many of the core concepts under the existing regime will, in fact, remain largely unchanged. For example, the concepts of what is personal data, that being data which relates to a living individual who can be identified from the data in in question. What constitutes processing, that that's effectively doing anything with personal data, that is collecting it, holding it, passing it to third parties. Who are data controllers? They are the people who determine the purposes for and the manner in which any personal data is processed. And on the flip side, who are the data processors, i.e. the people who process personal data on behalf of and under under the instruction of their data controller. And an example of a data controller, data processor relationship being an employer who is a data controller in relation to its relationship with a payroll provider who is processing data on that employer's behalf. The concept of the lawful basis of processing personal data are broadly the same too. So this includes things like processing personal data with the benefit of consent, 
or where an organisation determines it's, it's in their legitimate interest of that organisation to process personal data. But the detail of those bases will change significantly and the GDPR will introduce several new general concepts and approaches, the most significant of which are as follows. So firstly, the GDPR will actually expand the territorial scope of data protection legislation across the EU. So non-EU data controllers and processors will actually themselves be subject to the GDPR if they either offer goods or services to individuals in the EU, irrespective of whether payment is received or not, or whether they actually monitor individuals' behaviour in so far as their behaviour takes place within the EU. So this means that many non-EU organisations that were not required to comply with the existing regime will be required to comply with the GDPR from May of 2018. Secondly, there'll be significant changes to what means consent and the requirements around that. The GDPR requires a very high standard of consent from an individual when relied upon to legally process their personal data. This must be given by a clear, affirmative action establishing a freely given, specific, informed and unambiguous consent. When processing of personal data has multiple purposes, an individual should give their consent to each of the processing purposes, and an individual has the right to withdraw their consent at any time. Right, so that's interesting. Does that mean that the data protection consents that appear in the small type, sort of embedded within agreements and forms, will no longer be acceptable? That's absolutely right, Sue. And in fact, we'll look at the requirements of what GDPR means for forms of consent in further detail in week four. Other significant changes include the following. Mandatory privacy by design and default and impact statements. What this means is that organisations will be required to implement data protection by design, that is when creating new products or services, and by default, that is data minimisation and minimising data use across that organisation. And that must occur at the time of the determination of the means for processing and of the processing itself. Organisations will also be required to perform impact statements before carrying out any processing activity, such as via new technologies, that is likely to result in a high risk to individuals. GDPR will also impact on registrations. So instead of an organisation registering with the Information Commissioner's Office or the ICO, I suspect you'll hear more reference to the ICO over the course of these podcasts, organisations must maintain detailed documentation recording their processing activities as specified by the GDPR. In addition, in certain circumstances, controllers or processors will be required to appoint a data protection officer. These obligations do not apply to an organisation employing fewer than 250 people unless the processing is likely to result in a high risk to individuals. The rights to be forgotten and to data portability. The GDPR gives individuals rights to request that organisations delete their personal data in certain circumstances such as if their data is no longer necessary for the purposes for which it was originally collected. Individuals have a new right to obtain a copy of their personal data from the data controller in a readable and usable format, and in exercising this right, individuals can request the information be transmitted directly from one controller to another where technically feasible. GDPR has a big impact on data breach notification, So organisations must notify the ICO 
of all data breaches without undue delay and where feasible within 72 hours, unless the data breach is unlikely to result in a risk to the individuals concerned. If the breach is likely to result in a high risk to individuals, the GDPR requires organisations to inform those individuals themselves without undue delay, as well as the ICO. That seems an extremely short period of time, Pete, particularly for large organisations that might collect multitudes of personal data for many different purposes, which is then stored in multiple places. I think that's absolutely right. And in reality, what this means is that organisations will need to have a clear and well-understood reporting procedure and channel to an individual who's responsible for data protection with that, within that organisation itself. And that should allow breaches to be notified on time. An organisation might set out those procedures in its data protection policy, which is made readily available to staff through an internet or circulated in hard copy internally. We've identified the following probably final two significant changes to that GDPR will bring about. Those bringing new obligations on data processors, as mentioned earlier. The, the GDPR actually introduces direct compliance obligations for processors, meaning that they can be subject to fines. And exactly what are those fines? Well, they're significantly increased by the GDPR. The GDPR will significantly increase the maximum fines that the ICO will be able to impose on data controllers and data processors. The maximum fines are set out on a two-tiered basis as follows. So for what might be described as relatively minor breaches, such as violations relating to data processor contracts, data protection officers, data protection by design and default, internal record keeping and data protection notification, the fine could be up to the greater of 2% of annual worldwide turnover of the preceding financial year of that organisation, or 10 million euros, which is hugely significant. And then for more material breaches, the fines are even higher than that. So those material breaches would include violations relating to individuals' rights, conditions for consent, international data transfers, which we'll cover later on, and breaches of the data protection principles. The fines are at a whopping 4% of annual worldwide turnover of the preceding financial year, or 20 million euros. Well, this is all very well and good, and it all sounds quite scary, really, Pete. But given that the UK will be leaving the EU post-Brexit, won't GDPR simply not apply to the UK after March 2019? Do we really need to worry about all this? I'm afraid, I'm afraid we do, Sue. Um, if the UK goes along the so-called go-it-alone model to Brexit, which would appear to be the current thinking of the, the government, which would involve itself agreeing independent trade deals with the EU, then whilst the UK would in theory have a free reign to implement its own data protection laws, there are some significant problems with that. The recent rejection by EU regulators of the EU-US Privity Shield Safe Harbour shows the difficulties faced by EU organisations and non-EU organisations wishing to work with them to, transfer, to the transfer of personal data to countries which have not adopted EU-strength data protection laws. Therefore, in order to maintain its close links with crucial, a crucial trading partner, one would assume it's likely that either GDPR or laws that look very similar to it will be required in the UK after Brexit takes effect. And interestingly, the UK government announced earlier this month plans for a new data protection bill which will largely import the GDPR into, directly into UK law to help 
oil trading relationships post-Brexit? Right, so it sounds as if it's here to stay. So um, really organisations need to be using the time between now and May 2018 to get their processes and procedures fit for GDPR. So we very much hope that our podcast will help organisations out there to get started on that journey. That's absolutely right and we very much look forward to you joining us for our second podcast next week when we'll look at some practical steps organisations should be taking now to get ready for GDPR.